0: Welcome to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacy Harris and John Sumter.
1: Hey Stacy, how's in North Carolina? Hey John. We are doing well. We're in the midst of what would be our fall season here, so the trees are turning and the air is crisp with the smell of fall. So I can't complain. Of course that would mean I would have to walk outside my house and enjoy it. I haven't done much of that in preparing for the upcoming HR Tech conference and our release of our big annual HR system survey white paper. But we're doing good here. And how about you? Are you getting a little bit of breath of fresh air? Are things getting a little bit more normal there yet? Or how are you guys doing?
0: No, no. It turns out I wasn't expecting this. It turns out that this is trade show season. <laughs> and I am so booked that I get up at six o'clock in the morning and I go to bed at eight or nine o'clock and don't do much but work and try to get a little bit of food (laughs) because it's the busy season, right? It's just the busy season and it'll be quiet in January. And so I forgot because of the pandemic that that's the rhythm of the work year for me. And it took me a little off guard. But now that I'm in, I'm psyched. I spent a little bit of time yesterday setting up my room for the analyst room at the HR Tech Conference. And I imagine I'm going to get to have 30 or 40 really good conversations that week. And so I'm psyched. psyched. Things are taking a sort of semi-intelligible rhythm that hasn't been around for months and months and months. And that's great.
1: But it is definitely, the energy is up. That's, I think, at least what I'm feeling, and which is what we get to feel a lot of times around this time of season, which is nice, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, the energy's up. You know, I saw something on Twitter yesterday where somebody said, I never thought I'd say I miss Las Vegas. <laughs> and it isn't that bad for me, but I do have this, there's a a regularity to the events In the industry, there was a regularity to the events in the industry. And so you could sort of count on seeing a certain range of people in certain places over time. You know, my sort of my office all these years has been on the road in traveling with the pack of analysts that we traveled with and seeing the friends in companies. And the HR Tech Conference was always the place where that happened. And it's interesting to not be doing it this year. There are people I'm really going to miss seeing.
1: Yeah, it's been funny. When I look back, we see on Facebook in particular for me, but I think Instagram too does a little bit of it, you see the what you did last year at this time things, and it's filled with the Las Vegas and the events and the pictures from seeing friends. And that's a big part of, I think, our cycle and and actually what helps us. You know, many people oftentimes ask me, you know, what our work is like. And I said, you know, we have colleagues. It's just that they're not colleagues within our individual organizations oftentimes. They're colleagues that are spread across all the other research firms in the market because we all travel and, and go to the same events. And so there's a lot of idea sharing in the hallways in the between lunches and even while we're in sessions where we're sitting in the back of the room, we're very much like schoolroom children sometimes, you know, commenting on what's going on around in the session. And I think that piece of it for me, I've, I really had to artificially pull it together in some way. I've had to call friends and call people. I spoke to Stacia Gar last week and I hadn't talked to her for a while. And, and you know, I, I talked to a couple other people virtually via email to just feel like I got a sense of what's going on in the market. I think it's part of what me and you talking every week has always been helpful for. But I do think that that distance away from those people has caused a harder time to get your arms around what's going on in the in the market, right?
0: Uh, maybe. That's an interesting question. I wonder. I don't know that it's been terribly difficult to understand what's been going on in the market <laughs> this, this last year. Everybody's trying to not go out of business. <laughs> that means focusing on things that weren't priorities the year before, like how do you get people back to work? You know, and That's where our practitioner friends, all other energies focused on that. Right. It's that that's kind of the point of the presentation that I put together for HR Tech, which is that HR's priorities have changed and they've changed dramatically and it isn't temporary. They've changed so that safety you can't have an organization today where the HR department is concerned about anything other than safety first. Everything is after that. Everything. And it may be you know, now now getting people paid that's safety, right? That's financial safety. But beyond, above, and beyond that, it's it's very difficult, partly because we don't know still what an organization is if it doesn't have people meeting at the heart of it, right? And we don't do that the same way anymore.
1: And yeah, we don't. And, and I think the, the the vendors in our space are trying to figure this out, and the and the consulting practice firms, and the and the system integrators. It's been interesting, you know. Actually, some of the stuff. That I, that I pulled to talk about this week is a little bit of all of that. Everybody wading into this conversation in a way, we call it the future of work, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's the right language because I think the future of work kind of feels like it, it's about just innovation. And I think this is, is, is more than just an innovation conversation. It's a shift in priorities, I think, as you were talking about, right? And that is definitely coming through in the data where the, the it's interesting that the level of frustration with the, with the technology is not as high as it was last year, right? There's, it, it's either the same or slightly lower this year. Um, you see that in the user experience scores from our data this year. But there is a different, a different level of commentary that we got on the report this year about, you know, the kind of things people are missing, the gaps they're having in their technology. And a lot of it has to do with the basics, the reporting, the integration, the data sharing, the stuff that I think we oftentimes overlooked for the sake of newer, cool technologies, right?
0: Well, so I'm going to try to double back on what you said. So first, I don't think we know what work is anymore right? We knew you went to the office, you did the stuff at the office, and then you came home, and you could tell it was work because you weren't doing it at home, (laughs) you know? And there wasn't a lot of standardization because what constitutes the creation of value in an information world wasn't really very well understood. So you could have The big consulting firms where people go to five or six meetings a day, and that's value. And you have big engineering firms where if you go to a meeting twice a week, you're wasting somebody's time, and that's value, right? And so this consensus about what work actually is, was it there before the crash? And now we're picking through the pieces, trying to figure out whether or not there are standard ways to think about working when you don't have the blessing of running into each other. And that's a big, big change, and it forces you to look at the questions that, I don't know, I've been talking about for years, which is, if your data isn't clean, you don't have anything, right? So now what people are discovering is the building blew up, we've got the foundations of the building, we're looking at the foundations of the building, and oh my God, they were rotten anyhow. And so the right, and so the focus is on how do we get the data in order so that we can do the next thing, and that's a safety question. It turns out that data integration and data maintenance and data cleanliness at the core of the organization is inherently a safety issue, and, and oh, it is.
1: yeah.
0: right, right, and and we had didn't have to see it that way because people's lives didn't depend on the data being right, but now that we can't. Bump into the HR person and make that little correction with that little slip of paper on the long-term extension of the old sneaker net, and we actually have to get it right as it goes in, and we have to have it right before we use it, means that payroll-like precision is going to have to be applied to all of the data in the HR domain. And most people don't like payroll
1: levels of precision. Yes. And that's a very good way of putting it. You know, I, there's, there's a lot of people that I work with who are in payroll administrator or oversight roles in the work that I do on the board with IRAM And, you know, I think I've seen them take some of these challenges a lot more, you know, the level of required detail that payroll has to go through is so expensive expected that I think this net depth as we're going through this with sort of the COVID crisis management models and what that looks like inside of organizations feels like more of what they're used to doing where everyone else is having a little bit of a, of a freak out about it because talent management has never been held. Skills? Why would I have to worry that much about what skills I have tracked inside my talent management system, right? Why is it that critical? Until you have to move an entire workforce from one job to another, then all of a sudden it becomes as critical as your payroll data. And that's been an interesting exactly. shift to see. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And so that means that the fluffy stuff on top, and, and, and fluffy is is strong, but the development parts are the third priority, not the first priority. And they were the first priority for a long time. And it's not that development isn't important, but you can't have development till you have safety in the workplace and a healthy workforce working there. And then you can have development, but until until you figure out the safety of the workplace and the health of the workforce you get what we have right now which is not enough ability to pay attention to relationships even though all we seem to do is be in long meetings with other people isn't that weird and it's because relationships don't happen at the conference table relationships happen in the halls (laughs) and and we don't have any halls
1: we have no halls I think there's been a couple of interesting topics this week about what that's doing. There was a C-suite survey that talked about how executives and employees are seeing this. There's some big conversations about mental health around this topic. Gartner just did a big research study on this and what it's like to be engaged. But, you know, For me, I take it back to a very personal event. I remember the first time I had worked remotely was when I was working back my early days of working for Burson and Associates when it was a very small organization. And for four years, we had worked remotely as an entire team. And then in sort of like a three-month period, we bought offices and moved part of our California team into an office environment. And it very quickly became those who were in the office versus those of us who were still in the field. In remote environments, there was a difference in what we were getting told, what kind of information, who got to go out to lunch. It wasn't so much the remote work itself, it was the difference between where people were having those conversations and where they were not. And so, what I'd be interested in understanding is when the whole world is remote, are we recreating hallways and lunch environments by tailoring who we're talking to and limiting where we're sharing our information?
0: Well, this is—I I think we may have talked about this before—but Humanize has done amazing work looking at the difference in a normal organization pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And norm, normal is probably a stretch, so let's let's say this is the average of a bunch of different companies um, over time, and, and not not characterize it as normal. But but in the old days. An average employee had 2.9 close relationships and 40 second-order relationships. So the 2.9 relationships were with people you spend more than an hour a week with, and the 40 second-order relationships are the people you spend 15 minutes or less a week with. Today, it's seven close relationships and 15 second-order relationships. So, So we're spending much more time with specific individuals, and no time in the halls, essentially. And so the question is, if that's what's happening, that the center of the network is getting bigger and the edges of the network are getting smaller, is that a sustainable way to run an organization? And I think what we're going to notice, you you know, I, I always have a snarky thing or two to say about the difference between
1: management and the people who actually do the work. (laughs) <laughs> and, and,
0: and you know, the people in management are concerned with accounting for things, basically. And, and the people who do the work are in charge of doing the work. And the people at the top, in those close relationships at the center of the network, think that they're where the value is. And where the value actually happens is in the people you don't have that many steady interactions with. And part of the reason you don't have those complicated reactions with them is they're doing work. <laughs> and, they, and they don't have time to give you an hour. They have time to give you five minutes and because they're doing their jobs. But that's where the work actually happens, right? And when you don't have those things, then you've got a lot of people in the center talking about the work and nobody doing it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm envisioning know. a really good cartoon out of all this, <laughs> But it, I mean, it feels like it's an office joke, right? You know, but you're right. I mean, it's when the humanized data is fascinating. And we've talked about the work they're doing. I don't think you've actually shared the numbers previously. And. Those numbers are fascinating because the idea that you are creating a bigger small circle, but that small circle is still made up of a very similar group of people who are all probably managers or so, and then your work environment is much more dispersed, it creates a really interesting dynamic there of not just communication requirements, but it also requires a different set of basically translating who is the skilled worker in your organization. I mean, I think that's we saw in our data that sixty percent of organizations who said they needed data about critical skills didn't have it. Like who was the most critical worker in their organization, I should say? And so I think what you're just saying is that I don't think companies, even if they have the data, may have had it correct. Like it may have said that our management and our succession plans are high potentials. But in reality when you realize that it's actually your frontline workers in the grocery store and who are your register workers. That is your high potentials in this kind of environment. It changes the whole thing you're thinking about, right?
0: Well, so that is, I think that's a string to tug on a little bit. I am starting to conclude that the very meaning of data changes with circumstances. Right? and so i always I always had this assumption that once it was in the machine and and it had been counted and you could make charts with lines that go eternally up to the right hand corner of the um of the graph that the data was something that was like a solid object, and it turns out that what the data means depends on the circumstances that you're looking at. It and that data is way more elastic than I ever imagined. Part of the reason you need it clean is you can't look at it till it's clean, but once you're able to look at it, it may mean different things in different settings. So the example I'm seeing here is when you make a um, a forecast about somebody's likelihood of leaving, a retention forecast or a flight risk forecast, every single flight risk forecast ever built Has a factor for commute time. And, you know, this is math, right? So when commute time goes to zero, the whole formula collapses because you can't multiply by zero, right? (laughs) So it isn't just, oh, it's a little wrong. It's like the whole thing doesn't make any sense because commute time is part of it. And I've sat through in the last month 10 briefings where people used commute time as the example of why their stuff was. Okay, and, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, for it's a K-shaped, it's, it really is a K-shaped economy now. And there are the people who can stay home, and commute time doesn't matter. But that doesn't mean they're going to stay with your company forever. And there are the people on the downside of the K, whose worlds are getting smaller, whose work is getting harder, who don't get to work from home. And commute time means even more to them because they're being asked to work longer and harder. And it's weird, right? So there was one variable and you could make all sorts of assumptions about it. And then it turned out to be half wrong overnight. And I think that's a characteristic of data.
1: It is. And I think what you're saying is is context. Every piece of data has to have a, a set of context with it. What was the situation when it was gathered? What is the situation now? And how have those changed? And I'm not sure, I mean, I, I I will have to be honest, I have not done a ton of briefings with planning tools. It's actually on my list for next year to start looking at. Interestingly, I don't know if you knew Corus over at SAP. He'd been there for about nine years, come from Oracle as well. Just reached out to me. He's now over at Annaplan on their HR side of things, and they're growing a a growing HR planning business over at AnaPlan. And I was fascinated to just hear from him that, you know, they're rethinking the idea of what that looks like. And I think that the next level of planning that we're going to have to see come out of any HR technology or any kind of uh, analytics technology has to have a tool that allows you to contextualize it in some way.
0: Yeah, but you know what? Let me give you my favorite example these days, which is engagement scores. Do you know that engagement scores are the highest they've ever been? And they've been on a steady climb since the 11th of March. And so if you just sat back and you said, oh, engagement scores, hey, we're doing really well. Everybody's happy. Look at the engagement score. You'd be making a tragic error in context. It turns out, and nobody has this context yet, but it turns out that, let me give you some factors. Trapped in your house. Hard to get access to resources, life under threat, lose somebody close or know somebody who knows somebody who's died. That's what it's like to live in a war zone. And so I've started looking at uh, the data about what does it mean to be in constant trauma and we've been as a culture and as members of organizations in constant trauma and there's some very interesting things the first normal response to to trauma is a heroic response and we've seen that and 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 all of the people in all of the organizations have worked just as hard as they can to try to keep things going even though it's been pretty weird but it's seven months or eight months now however many months it's been since Monday, and and people are burning out. People are burning out. And that's the second stage when you have sustained trauma on a population is that the heroic time is followed immediately by a collapse. And then the building out after everybody has sort of peaked Burn out and hit their bottom. The way out is, is through grief, right? And so it's not anything like a V-shaped emotional recovery. It's, it is a rise to extreme heights followed by a crash to extreme lows followed by a lot of hard work. And I think that's where we are. But you couldn't get that from looking at engagement scores and thinking, oh, engagement's up, right? And so that's the long way of saying that I don't know how you provide the context. I, I don't know how you do that because context changes.
1: Yeah, well, but I think that's exactly what I'm saying is that context has to be a variable variable that we can change inside the system. And I think right now it generally is set as pretty much a constant at one level or another, right? This happened in 1991 yes, and in 1990. And so I think that's the challenge is that the new planning tools have to figure out a way to to allow you to change context. And we just haven't figured that out yet because it does. It has such an impact on the data. I mean, you know, and that's the difference between a human analyzing the data and a system analyzing the data today. The human has the ability to hold multiple contexts in its head. That's
0: great. So you imagine some sort of an interface that allows you to go, huh. What if really high engagement scores is a really bad thing? That's what you're looking for, a tool that that, that would allow you to make that sort of analysis. You know, what if Stacy's stellar performance over the last five years makes her exactly not fit to be the new boss? And look at it and ask the question, what happens if the context changes? That's good. That's good. And it would be great to have our machines help us do that.
1: Yeah. I think we're a ways off from it yet. But it's also, I think, a reason why we have to step back and the machines have a a place, but we have to, at this point in time, in the technology movement, make sure people are involved in every step of the process. And that's, I think, the piece that we may be struggling with, I think, in the market is where and when do you insert the human influence in those conversations?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Well... We've managed to not talk about any news today. I think this is a first.
1: (laughs) We should make a quick note. We did have a Sage Analyst event this week. Both you and I attended to. It was a really great event with some good updates. Maybe next week we'll touch a bit on that. We also have the HR Tech Conference next week that we will both be, or not next week, but the week after that we'll both be speaking out. So there will be some updates before that event too. So it's this week, but maybe next week we'll get to some of these bigger topics or at least the things that are happening in the market here.
0: (laughs) I think we should think about changing the name of the show too. We're going to try to get to the news pretty soon. (laughs)
1: It would be, you know, the news has its place, but sometimes when we're going through a shared trauma, like we've been talking about, we just need room to think about it. That's what we've been doing, John. It's really part of the grief process. Having been through it recently myself, that's what we're doing. It's so good. <laughs> good.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for doing this as usual, Stacy, And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacy Harris and John Silzer. 288 shows, Stacey. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, everyone. We will see you back here next week. Bye-bye now.
1: Bye.